Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Racetrack. I am Molly Joe Rosen alongside some amazing friends on the Believe Network, the number one podcast platform for professionals. Last week we talked about all things Kentucky Derby, what type of race it is, what type of horse runs in it, how and how difficult it is to get in the gate, how the finishes usually go, and what happens to horses who win it. Quick recap, the Derby is a race for three-year-olds going a mile and a quarter on the dirt. Girls can run in the Derby, though boys cannot run in the Oaks. And the 20 horses who will load into the gate on the first Saturday in September of this year will have had less than a one-tenth of a percent of a chance of doing so when their mama met their papa in a breeding shed somewhere on this planet four years ago. Given that we're less than a month out and down to one minor prep this coming weekend, now feels like a good time to take a quick look at the horses we're going to be talking about for the back half of the racing calendar. Before we get rolling on the show, no matter how you found us, and I'm certainly glad you did, thank you in advance for liking and subscribing and commenting and sharing and whatever else it is you can do from whatever podcast platform you found us on. Plus, you can join the conversation and tell us what you want to know and who you want to hear from at beyondtheracetrack.com. Now, let's load into the gate and get to talking ponies. As we talked about last week, the Derby starters qualify by running in races held around the world that are assigned a points value down to fourth place. Early races on the trail are worth 50 to the winner. As we get closer to the Derby, most races award 100 points to the winner. The top 18 U.S.-based domestic horses earn a berth with one spot held each for a European and a Japanese runner, though the depth of the domestic bench, so to speak, this year is 31 eligible horses from the 369 Triple Crown nominated runners with 23 days to go, so it'll definitely be a full gate. The prep system used to be based on earnings. Horses who accrued the most money in graded stakes led the leaderboard. As racinos and slot money began supplementing and inflating stakes purses around the country, we needed a way to level the playing field, so starting in 2013, the point system was introduced. Fun piece of nerdy trivia? The Kentucky Derby field has been limited to 20 starters since 1975. At least 20 have entered every year since 2004, and amazingly, 19 of the last 21 years. One major difference between this year and all prior 145 runnings is that, since we're doing this in September versus May, horses who are late to develop and would never have made the field will. It'll be interesting to see how much of a factor this becomes when breeding rights are sold and we start talking about the winner's viability as a stallion if it turns out to be a horse who wasn't terribly precocious. We've actually already seen some moves on that front. Authentic winner of the Haskell and currently second on the points list was sold in late June from his original partnership group to the team of Spendthrift Farm and MyRacehorse.com. This was a cool move for a lot of reasons, one major one being, obviously, it gives Spendthrift another son of their super-talented Into Mischief for their stallion roster, and through My Racehorse's fractional ownership setup, it gives everyday people the chance to own the equivalent of a tail hair of a derby starter. At the time of this recording, there is one last race on the road to the Derby list. 
the Pegasus at Ellis Park on August 15th, worth 20 points to the winner. Since most of the Midwestern-based horses with Derby points just ran in the Ellis Park Derby, it's unlikely to have a huge impact on next month's field. Speaking of, while most of the chatter will now center on who the favorite will be come post time, like that's even a question, but we'll get into that in a second, the more fun part is on the other end of the leaderboard. If everyone stays healthy and the Euros and Japanese don't ship, the 20th horse on the list right now is Solo Valente with 30 points, a horse who has only had two workouts since he threw a clunker in the Belmont at the end of June. This leaves Finnick the Fierce and late nominee Pneumatic sitting on the fence with 25 points. But wait, there is a filly in the current main body of the field whose connections have not made a decision about whether they're Oaks or Derby bound yet, so even though we know the contenders, the list is far from set. And remember, earning the most points on the trail only earns you the right to get in the gate. There is no preferential treatment that comes from it. Post positions are selected at random, so it's not like the connections even get that choice anymore. As I said, there are currently 31 horses with points earned in derby preps. There were a lot more, but they've ducked out due to injury or not being competitive enough or because the calendar got so weird that there weren't enough races on the docket for them. Your points leader, and without question, unless something super weird happens, your morning line favorite and post-time favorite, is Tiz the Law, a strapping New York-bred son of Constitution out of the stakes-winning mare Tiz Fizz. The big old bay with the white blaze is trained by Barkley Tag for owner's Sakatoga Stable. If those connections sound familiar, this is the same team that was behind 2003 Kentucky Derby winner Funnyside. A $110,000 yearling at the 2018 Saratoga Summer Sale, Tiz the Law broke his maiden on debut a year to the day that he won the Travers. In seven starts, he's undefeated except for one quote-unquote bad race, a third in the Kentucky Jockey Club in November of last year. That's actually probably the thing you'll hear most from the wise guy handicappers over the next three weeks. Yeah, he's the most likely winner, but you know, his worst race came over the Churchill Downs Strip. I'm not going to ever try to talk someone onto or off of a horse, but you're getting a raised eyebrow from me if that's the reason you avoid this animal. We talked before about development and how the pushback schedule is great for horses who need the time. Yeah, tis the law ain't that horse. He was a precocious two-year-old who has been incredibly well-managed by one of the game's better horsemen, and he's peaking at exactly the right time. Meanwhile, Authentic is a horse who sort of bridges the did-he-didn't-he-need-the-time thing. Second on the points list, the leggy son of Into Mischief has one lone loss in his five-race career. He debuted a winner in November last year, won the Sham in January, then the San Felipe before getting a bit of a break. Trainer Bob Baffert has said that when the COVID forced pause on training in Southern California happened back in March, he stopped on Authentic completely. Gave him two weeks off from any form of training, of, of walking or galloping, which is a really interesting strategy that gave the horse a chance to, well, just be a horse. He then came back a little too keyed up for the Santa Anita Derby, ran on pretty well to finish a strong second to honor AP, then shipped out to Monmouth to win the Haskell. The interesting thing about his Haskell win was how easily he opened up in the lane, but Blame still developing or some inherent quirkiness, he pricked his ears at the eighth pole and was having fun enjoying the stretch run and almost got himself beat. It's totally fine to do that against a small field, but he ain't going to get away with that against 20 horses on, on the first Saturday in September. Whether it's because of the revised schedule or luck of the draw with the horses who got good this year, 
we're getting a chance to talk about some trainers we normally wouldn't. I think my favorite example of this is Tommy Drury and Art Collector, currently third on the points list. Tommy has been a really good horseman for a really long time. He trains primarily out of a facility just outside of Louisville and has for years done a lot of the rehab and prep for the Claiborne horses that you'd know as winners for trainer Al Stahl. This is a common practice in the racing industry, using a satellite farm to prep horses to then ship in to the bigger barns. A few years ago, Tommy started picking up other owners who started giving him some seriously nice horses, Bruce Lunsford included. Art Collector is a homebred for Lunsford, a son of Bernardini out of his graded stakes placed mare distorted legacy. Here's a horse who didn't quite have the whole I'm a racehorse thing figured out in his five starts last year against decent but non-stakes company. Getting six months off from November to May gave Art Collector a chance to grow mentally and physically and voila, he's now rolled off four wins in a row including the Bluegrass and the Ellis Park Derby. It's easy to chalk this up to development and good luck, but there's a lot to be said about the quality of horsemanship it takes to get a non-performing horse your gut is screaming has the ability and get him to the game's biggest stage. Moving to the fourth horse on the points leaderboard, Honor AP has a classic blue blood pedigree by Honor Code out of the fantastic mare Hollywood story, who he looks a lot like, by the way. She won four graded stakes herself, and she's thrown some nice horses already. He has always clearly been a looker. Consider that he cost his owner, CRK Stable, a whopping $850,000 the same week that Tis the Law was purchased for $110,000. Trainer John Sheriffs already has a derby win 2005 with Giacomo, and it's no surprise he's bringing another horse to Churchill. Known for carefully placing his horses and for long, slow gallops that can seem out of place on the Southern California circuit that's home to bullet after bullet after bullet drill, John is sneaky good with young horses and at getting them to peak fitness levels that produce great results on track. Honor AP is a neat horse. He is proof that you don't have to win every race to be phenomenal. It helps when you haven't been worse than second in your five starts, but the good thing is that it also shows his tenacity. Just because he's lost doesn't break his spirit. The thing with him, he very clearly telegraphs when he's in the right headspace. He looked absolutely sensational in gallops, so much so that XBTV called them workouts leading up to the Santa Anita Derby that it seemed a cinch he'd win. Keep an eye on Honor AP and trust your gut when you watch him work in the mornings. Outside of the top four is where we start to get into some fun if you're looking for a less obvious horse to bet on the first Saturday in September. New York traffic is a pretty gray son of cross traffic who is the first foal out of a lightly raced mare. He didn't sell for $27,000 as a two-year-old in training, was purchased privately, and has gone on to earn $565,000 to date. Not a bad investment for whatever the partnership who now owns him paid. Trained by Safi Joseph Jr., New York traffic is one of the more heavily raced horses pointing to this year's Kentucky Derby. With nine starts and only two wins, it's his three straight runner-up efforts at three different tracks coming into this race that catch the eye. This is the horse that almost caught the thumb-twiddling authentic in the Haskell, and it's pretty much guaranteed, if he trains even mildly well at Churchill, that this will be one of the top wise guy horses because the race record suggests he's got the talent if he can just get the additional oomph to get his nose across the line first. King Guillermo is intriguing. Not only is he owned by Major League Baseball's Victor Martinez and his lovely wife, but trainer Juan Carlos Sevilla decided after the Tampa Bay Derby win and the runner-up effort in the Arkansas Derby that they just shipped to Churchill on May 3rd, like the day after we originally planned to run the Kentucky Derby. That decision meant he'd be training up to the big dance for a full four months. 
Every year there's a trainer that tries something totally unconventional and it seldom pays off. But something about the way Avia has managed this horse and how well he knows him, I might be less inclined to toss him solely for this, which I absolutely would in any other year. The horse himself is the first American-born son of a Dixieland band mare who's thrown a few winners over in Ireland. He's a son of Uncle Mo, who would have been the Derby favorite a few years back. King Guillermo is a fairly lightly raced horse with only two starts this year, and once again we're back at the precocity versus development argument. He was good against young three-year-olds, but how will he handle the same rivals now that they've matured? Hopefully so has he, though. Thousand Words is sitting seventh on the points list. Son of the freaky fast sprinter Pomeroy's Pistol, a multiple graded stakes winner who had one of the shiniest coats I have ever seen on a horse. He is by also by Pioneer of the Nile, a stallion who's already thrown a triple crown winner in American Pharaoh. So it's no surprise that Albaugh Family Stables and Spendthrift Farm went to a flat $1 million for him as a yearling. Thousand Words rattled off three straight wins to start his career, then seemed headed to bounce out of the derby picture entirely in the spring, before coming back with a runner-up effort behind a stablemate in the Low Sal Derby, then getting his neck down over Honor AP in the Shared Belief Stakes as his final prep. With seven starts, he's plenty seasoned, but there's a concern that he's only faced six rivals total in his last two starts. How will he fare when there's 19 other horses in the gate? Up next, Dr. Post, the first Todd Pletcher trainee on the leaderboard, a $200,000 weanling and $400,000 yearling. This son of quality rode out of the stakes-winning mare Mary Delaney, won the unbridled stakes at Gulfstream earlier this year, and has since been runner-up in the Belmont and third in the Haskell. Max Player is another strikingly handsome son of honor code that could make the Derby gate. He is from a family of horses who just seem to find the winner's circle. Mama was a stakes winner, and all six of her foals to race have had their photo taken. Five of them are stakes winners. Sort of like New York traffic with the really good also-ran stats, Max Player won the Grade 3 Withers in February, then has come back from the COVID spring break with a bout of third-itis. Because of this, owner George Hall made the decision to move Max Player from Linda Rice's barn into Steve Asmussen's. There is precedent for this sort of thing, though usually it's because of a private purchase. War Emblem won the 2002 Kentucky Derby for Bob Baffert, who had only had the horse for two weeks, and actually involving Asmussen himself, when Rachel Alexandra was purchased post-Kentucky Oaks, she moved to his barn for the Preakness and then rattled off her string of wins. On the lightly raced and really fun to say front, Caracaro has only run four times, but like Honor AP, he's never been worse than second. A $95,000 weanling, the first foal from a barely raced mare who is now in Australia, this son of Uncle Mo has run back-to-back runner-ups in stakes company since shipping north to Saratoga from trainer Gustavo Delgado's South Florida home base. So that's the top 10. Next we come to Country Grammar, your Peter Pan winning son of Tonalist for trainer Chad Brown, Enforceable, who is out of one of the prettiest mares I've ever had the pleasure of trying to buy in Just Whistle Dixie, making him a half-brother to 2013 Breeders' Cup Juvenile winner New Year's Day and 2016 Derby fourth place finisher Mohamed. Enforceable is a very well-raced son of Tappet for trainer Mark Cassie, who took most of last summer to get his first win, then sort of put it together against good horses in the spring before coming back with a solid effort off the four-month layoff to run fourth in the bluegrass. And now we find ourselves at lucky number 13, and the Philly Swiss Skydiver. 
the Kenny McPeak trained daughter of Daredevil out of the winning mare Expo Gold, she's run coast to coast and really hasn't done too much wrong if you toss the Tampa try back in January. She rolled through the Gulfstream Oaks in the Fantasy and then shipped west to take the Santa Anita Oaks before Kenny and owner Peter Callahan threw everyone a curveball and took a shot against the boys in the bluegrass and nominated her to the Triple Crown. See, it would have been real easy to stay in her lane and keep collecting checks against her own kind. We see it happen year after year. But they had nothing to lose in this of all years, so why not? And she ran an extremely credible, albeit never threatened the winner, runner-up effort. If they decide to go back against the girls, she will hands down be the Oaks' favorite. But she does kind of fit the mold of recent girls who've taken on the boys, and heck, it's worked twice in the last 40 years with winning colors and genuine risks, so... Why not Swiss Skydiver in the Kentucky Derby, too? Rounding out the top 20 are the likes of Shivery, a horse I loved at crazy long odds in the Florida Derby earlier this year, but who's since gone kind of sideways. Rushy, a son of Liam's map, who's rounding into late season form with a pair of thirds against stakes horses. Major fed for trainer Greg Foley, who has opted like a via with King Guillermo to train up to the Derby off his runner-up effort in the Indiana Derby. Attachment rate for Dale Romans, who's been decent against decent Midwestern-based runners. Ano Deor fulfills the yearly quota for a horse's name with questionable pronunciation and who owns a lone win from his debut last September on the synthetic at Golden Gate. And that puts us at Solo Valente, who's questionable to run based on his few weeks off and work tab since. Then allowance winner Finnick the Fierce, who qualified with a second in the Kentucky Jockey Club and a third in the Arkansas Derby, and Pneumatic, who actually quite intrigues as he's entered in the Pegasus to pick up more points after third and fourth place finishes in the Matt Wynn and Belmont, respectively. On the more extreme outside looking in, you'll find the likes of Dean Martini, Shared Sense, and Uncle Chuck, but plenty has to happen in three weeks for those names to truly enter the picture. No matter who runs, and really no matter who wins, the Kentucky Derby is a spectacle unlike any other, and we're in for a real treat when the fastest two minutes in sports runs on the first Saturday in September. As we get into the gallop out portion of today's show, much appreciation as always to my tiny production crew and the good folks at the Believe Network for the chance to share this show with y'all. Remember to like and comment and subscribe and share and whatever else you can do from whichever platform you're listening on. If there's something about horse racing you want to know more about, drop us a note at ask at beyondtheracetrack.com or any of our socials, all of which can be found on beyondtheracetrack.com. I am Molly Joe Rosen, and I will see you back here next week as we once again go beyond the racetrack. This is going to be a wild ride. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.